This summer we've been in uh, the book of Galatians throughout the summer, and uh, this week we come to chapter 3 of Galatians. The, the words, the scripture is in your bulletin on one of the, f- uh, the first sheet, and I'll read from Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 23 and going through chapter 4, verse 7. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up under locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. And now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you all are children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until, until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. But when the, time, the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. And because you are his sons or his children, God the, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's a movie you might have seen from uh, the early 2000s called Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And in that movie, there is a baptism scene. There's a baptism scene by the riverside. And the movie follows these three escaped convicts who are running from the law. And along the way, they come upon a revival. Uh, There's these few people that join them walking through the forest dressed in white robes. And then a few more people join them, and and the music begins in the background. And if there's one thing you need to know about this movie, it's that the music is amazing. It's bluegrass music, and the soundtrack was made, recorded before the movie was even written. Uh, The music is so good, and then they just fit the story around it. And in this uh, scene, Alison Krauss starts singing alone, and she sings something like this. I can't sing as well as her, but I'll give it a go. She says... As I went down in the river to pray, steadying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. And then another voice joins her in perfect harmony, and they sing together, Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. And then each verse, a a new group of voices and a new group of people dressed in white robes join them down to the river. Brothers and mothers and fathers and sinners and and more people join the line until there's this long line of white robes with these three escaped convicts in their striped, dirty clothes. 
And one of the convicts gets swept away in the crowd. And he, he ends up down by the river. And, and the other two crouch and hide in the bushes and watch as it happens. And when he returns to his companions, he's wet. He's washed clean. He is dressed in white. He's been baptized. He's found Jesus, or Jesus has found him. And he insists that he will not live a life of crime anymore. He won't steal. He won't kill. He won't do anything. He is a new man. Now, something like that is going on here in these verses in Galatians. Uh, th these verses aren't just about baptism, although I'm glad that it fell on this Sunday of baptism that, uh, that I could preach them this week. Uh, th they're about being children of God. And, and how does it work, wonders Paul? How does it begin? What happens next? What does it point to? Well, these are the questions that Paul tries to address with the Galatians. And he pulls out a whole number of images from his back pocket, a, a guardian, a, a trustee, a, a baptism clothes, an heir, adoption. He's just throwing every idea he can at them so they can understand what happens when faith comes and why they can never go back to the old way. Now, the Galatians have tried the old way, and they've tried it, the way of sin and law, and Paul won't have it. He will not let them go back to that, even though they were told they should. They were slaves to sin and law, he says. They were locked up. They were imprisoned. And, and then the promise came. The promise through the faithfulness of Christ, he says, came. And faith came in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, before that time, he says, law was like a guardian. So here, here Paul uses this image that was common to his time, a, a pedagogue, a, a slave who was assigned to the kids of a wealthy family to make sure they got to school and did their lessons and learned what they were supposed to learn. Kind of like a, a governess slash security guard slash chauffeur. Nowadays, we might think of them as a babysitter or maybe a nanny who's got a car to drive the kids around. And their job is to teach the kids how to learn and how to live well. Now, those kids may have hated it. They may have hated the pedagogue who was sometimes so strict to them. But if that person was doing their job right, the kid would internalize the lesson. They would learn, and they would start acting rightly. At least, that's the idea. That's how the law works, says Paul. It teaches us, that, uh, it teaches us right living to the point that it becomes second nature. But says Paul, it cannot make us good. It cannot make us right or holy in and of itself. It is temporary. I mean, no one expects a babysitter to be permanent. No one expects a babysitter to be the one to always take care of the kids. No child needs a nanny forever. If the job is done right, and hopefully the parents are involved, then that kid learns to live on their own when they're an adult. And hopefully they come to appreciate those hard-learned lessons later in life. That's how the, the law works, says Paul. It's this teacher for a specific purpose, for a specific time and place. And once Christ comes, we no longer need the guardian. Uh, we don't need it because of Christ's faithfulness. Another way to put it is because of the faith that God brings about through Christ, by the Spirit, that's how we become children of God. Now, up until this point, these underage kids may be heirs, and here Paul is bringing in a whole other idea of inheritance, but they're really like slaves. Uh, this heir is under the power of trustees or uh, guardians who are in charge of them. They manage the, the money and they manage the kid's life until they are old enough and hopefully wise enough to receive the inheritance. Now, Paul states it quite strongly in Galatians. He says, this minor child is like a slave or maybe even lower than a slave because they have to obey that pedagogue. And what are they slave to? 
They're slave to these elemental spiritual forces. Uh, sometimes it's translated basic spiritual principles. Uh, think of it like this. Uh, you could call it sin or, or karma or survival of the fittest or just the way the world works or demonic powers. You know, uh, you get what you deserve. Everything happens for a reason. Uh, uh, all those things that keep people enslaved instead of living in grace. As I was thinking about slavery and baptism and the link between them, a, a week or so ago, I learned something new about American history, something I'd never heard before. Back in 1667, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, uh, slave owners had this new problem they'd never encountered before. They'd been bringing West Africans as slaves to North America for about 50 years, since 1619, when that first ship of uh, 20 or 30 slaves came in. And at first, they didn't allow those slaves to become Christians. And there was this huge debate throughout the colonies, not just in the U.S., but throughout the English-speaking colonies, about whether or not to evangelize to the slaves and how to do it. And, and one of the ways that slavery was justified was that, well, those people aren't Christians. They're pagans. They're, they're evil somehow, and we can enslave them. In the end of the day, the evangelists won the argument. No, we do need to help these people become Christians. And now a new generation was being born, and the kids of these Christians were, were being baptized. And people started asking, well, does that mean they're free? Does baptism free someone from slavery? And the fact that this question came up at all uh, says something about the, the power, the freeing power of faith and baptism and the spirit. And, and even though their theology back then was messed up in so many ways, they knew deep down that God does something through baptism. And that changes a person's life, and it should have implications for their whole life. But does it mean they should be free? Well, the slave owners lobbied their representatives, and in 1667, the Virginia legislature passed this law declaring that the baptism of slaves does not exempt them from bondage. Basically, they were saying that baptized slaves, adult or child, remained slaves. Now, obviously, from our perspective, we say, well, what were they thinking? I mean, the, the slaves had the theology right. Something is happening at baptism. Uh, God frees us, and that spiritual change should include some sort of social change, too. And don't let anyone tell you that the gospel doesn't include social justice, because no, it requires it. Uh, just read Paul's letter to Philemon, this slave owner, telling him to receive his former slave as a brother. Now, these, these legislatures and slave owners in, in Virginia were, were captive to the, the brutal economics of slavery. They were making too much money. And to be fair, from their perspective, they were, uh, they were kind of being kind in their eyes uh, in allowing the evangelism of slaves. And this Virginia decision on the baptism of slaves was meant to be a way of promoting Christianity among slaves without the fear of, of losing them. But in the end, I think they put their money above their theology. They, they were blind to the injustice right in front of their eyes, and they should have read their Bibles first. It's easy for us to point to the past, of course. It's harder to look at the present and say at ourselves with more critical eyes and ask, what are we blind to in this day and age? How do we perpetuate slavery to sin and, and to society, and, and how does the church proclaim the freedom that comes from being children of God? Because the slaves had it right. Baptism means freedom. 
uh, through faith in Jesus Christ, or as Paul puts it, because of Jesus' faithfulness, we are in Christ. The Galatians are free, free from sin, free from the guardianship of the law. They have a new name. They are children of God. And it all comes from being in Christ. Being in Christ, which is the phrase that Paul uses throughout his letters to talk about union with Christ. Uh, Look at verse 27. It says, All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Baptism is this sign of being in Christ. It's like clothing, but baptism clothing, white clothing, permanent clothing, clothing that marks that you are in Christ. And it includes, but it goes way beyond any other identity you might have. As verse 28 makes clear, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Because every human identity we have, whether it's uh, from our body or our family, our relationships or job or our actions or our society, all of that is brought into union with Christ. And it's not like they don't matter anymore, but somehow Christ brings them together and makes them holy. Somehow it all fits together in Christ. The Galatians were struggling with their identity as Gentiles and Jews. Uh, Other churches might have wondered about slaves and free, and maybe a different church was wondering about men and women. And in Christ, says, Paul, all are one. Union with Christ means union with each other. Not sameness, not the erasing of differences, but union, partnership, the the togetherness that comes of each unique strand of a strong rope. And then Paul, in the second half of today's reading, brings up this new image, the image of heirs. Uh, He says it's Christ's coming born under the law, born of a woman, human, incarnate, Jewish, flesh and blood, that God redeemed us and made us his children. And those who are in Christ are these uh, full-grown heirs of the promise made to Abraham. It's a promise of blessing, a promise of faith, a promise to bless all nations. But how does this happen? It happens through the Spirit. And God gives the Spirit to his children. And the first thing the Spirit does is to help us call on God like a father, like a parent, saying, Abba, Father, like a child. And and the Spirit is the promise. The Spirit is the inheritance. The Spirit is the gift of God that comes through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all who believe. And it's the Spirit that makes us God's children. The Spirit gives faith. The Spirit marks us in baptism as God's children. And the Spirit enables us to live fruitful lives. And Paul is so sure that being in Christ sets us free from whatever enslaves us. And not only that, it makes us God's heirs. God's God's children get this promised blessing, which is the Spirit. One commentator of this passage suggests that we we consider, in contrast, the, the plight of slaves after the Civil War. Uh, Slaves were freed, yes, but many of them were homeless and wandering, uh, without food or money to to care for themselves. Because freeing the slaves wasn't enough. They needed an inheritance. Uh, And they they were promised one once, uh, 40 acres and a mule, according to one rallying cry. And imagine how different our country would be today if that had actually happened, if each freed slave family had gotten the land and the resources they needed to thrive. I think things would look pretty different. But when Paul talks about faith and baptism and the Spirit, he, he uses this phrase, in Christ, to sum it all up. Because being in Christ changes everything. 
It's, it includes union with Christ and identity with Christ and, and being found in Christ and having Christ in you, all of that together in one. And if you read any of Paul's letters, uh, go through and highlight that phrase, in Christ, and you'll find he uses it all of the time. And someday I hope to understand what he means by that. Uh, an old Christian Reformed pastor, uh, Reverend Marv Bielan, uh, once inspired me to do that. He made it his life's mission to always preach being in Christ. And it's hard to understand what Paul means by it. I, I don't fully understand. It's, it's a little mystical. It's a little confusing. It, it's far too deep for our human understanding. But that's what happens. Somehow, God, through faith, makes us to be in Christ. Now today, uh, uh, my son Abram is going to be baptized. And, and we see baptism is this sign of a covenant promise. It's a way of God speaking first in Abram's life. Uh, you are mine, says God. You are my child. And, and, and today, Abram is wearing this old family outfit that comes through Sarah's family. Uh, Judah was baptized in it. Sarah's brother Scott was baptized in it. And it's this cute little white onesie uh, made with cotton cloth and, and blue smocking on the front. It was made by Nancy Smith, a, a friend from their church in Dallas. And, and it is totally 80s, and it is totally adorable. <laughs> and though Abram may be clothed in this white outfit, uh, he is, uh, what we see, one way we understand what is happening in baptism is, is this sign that Abram is marked, sealed, and signed as, as one who is clothed in Christ. That's why people wear white at baptism. Ever since the days of the early church, all the way down to the river to pray, and, and even when a baby comes up dressed in white. Because baptism is this outward sign of what God has already done. God changes, God frees, God transforms all who believe. And this happens through Christ's faithfulness. Not because of anything Abram's done or will do. It's God who speaks and acts first in baptism and in giving the Spirit. And all we can do is, is accept God's promised blessing with open hands and, and to live them out by the power of the Spirit. So we ask that God help us to do that today and every day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God, we trust that in the waters of baptism, you are doing something. And though we don't understand what it means to be found in Christ, we want to be freed from sin and slavery. We know that we are adopted into you and become one with Christ. And we pray that, that you remind us of that today. Help us to remember our own baptism, whether we remember it or not, whether we were a child or an adult. Remember our baptism, because in, that, in, in our baptism, you signed and sealed the promises that you made long ago to Abraham the promises to your children to, to bless them and keep them. And we pray that you do that today to Abram. God, as we hear your word through the book of, of Galatians, as we seek to live it out every day, help us to do that faithfully in the power of the Spirit, always moving uh, away from sin and into life in the Spirit. So cultivate those fruits of the Spirit in us. Help us to live in your way. We trust in you, and we praise you and thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we'll